This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. This may seem very simple, but we have data that shows that for people from underrepresented minority groups, their physicians, their providers were less likely to recommend a screening test to them than people who are white. So I think the first step is one, just offering that test. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics, the only GI-specific group purchasing organization in the United States. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Matthew, and as I'm sure you know, March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Our guest today is Dr. Rachel Isaka, a gastroenterologist and assistant professor at the Fred Hutch Cancer Research Center and the University of Washington in Seattle. Dr. Isaka's research focuses on decreasing colorectal cancer mortality in medically underserved populations by improving screening and follow-up. She has contributed to national medical practice guidelines for the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable, and the Centers for Disease Control. Dr. Isaka, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a bit more about how you decided to become a gastroenterologist and how did you end up at Fred Hutch? So I was fortunate to discover gastroenterology as a medical student. I went to the University of Michigan Medical School, and at the time, it was one of the few places that had an inpatient gastroenterology service. I rotated on it during my third and fourth years and loved it. And as I went on to Northwestern to complete my residency, I solidified that decision even more. During my second and third years of residency, I had a second continuity clinic on the south side of Chicago, and my patients there were primarily Black and Latino. And I noticed that any time I brought up colon cancer screening, the response was very different from my primary care clinic that was in downtown Chicago, where the patients were primarily white. And so that really got me interested in, you know, how can we better understand why there are disparities in colon cancer outcomes, and specifically what interventions can we apply to make a difference. And I've been fortunate that that's the work I've been able to do ever since. That's fantastic. I think um, oftentimes in medicine, we get stuck in algorithms, and it's so much more than that. It's the intersection of culture and values, and it's I think really refreshing to view colon cancer screening through that lens. Along those lines, I mean, we all know it's critical to be screened for colon cancer. Tell us why you feel it's important to be screened. Absolutely. Colon cancer is so common. In the United States, it's the second highest cause of cancer deaths. And yet it's one of the few cancers that can actually be detected early and prevented with screening. But we know that many people who should be screened have not been screened. And we also know that this disease does not affect all Americans proportionally. So for all of those reasons, that's why I believe it's really important that everyone gets screened. One, because we can prevent it. And 
particularly for those who are at highest risk. And those include um, people who are Black or African-American, Native Americans, Hispanics, and also we know people who are of lower socioeconomic status, unfortunately also have higher incidence and mortality from colon cancer. So it's particularly important that those people in those groups get screened. And recognizing those disparities, what are some of the strategies that you have seen as being most successful? So we know that there are many barriers to screening. When we consider a colonoscopy, even though it's something that you and I do every day, and it seems quite mundane, colonoscopy is actually a very complex process. It requires that individuals are socially connected. It requires that they have good and stable jobs that allow them to take time off of work. That uh, social connection enables them to have somebody who can bring them to the procedure and drive them home. They need to have access to restrooms, which might seem, you know, not like an important task, but when you're prepping for a colonoscopy is very important. So when we look at the research as far as interventions that are successful in, in encouraging screening and specifically in reducing disparities, it's interventions that are targeted to those specific areas where patients have needs. Um, so whether it's addressing, addressing social conditions, um, whether it's explaining to patients the um, process by which they can complete an adequate bowel prep, um, it also involves offering patients choices. Because I mentioned colonoscopy is so complex, a lot of patients who need to be screened initially opt for a stool-based test. The beauty of the stool-based test is that it can be performed at home and mailed in, and only those with an abnormal result need a colonoscopy. But it's very important that physicians have that conversation with their patients so patients are aware that that follow-up would be required if they have an abnormal result. Absolutely. I think there's a number of systems uh, across the United States that are using stool-based screening effectively in that manner. How important is it to follow up promptly after an abnormal stool test? I can't stress this enough. And I honestly you know, work in partnership with primary care providers. And this is you know, one of the, the issues that we, we talk about often is the importance of having that conversation outright with patients. Um, because I think for somebody who is deciding to use a stool-based test, if they're not aware that they need a colonoscopy if the test is abnormal, then that can be very inconvenient. But for those who know that they would need a colonoscopy if the test is abnormal, they can prepare. There are now several studies that have shown that really that sweet spot as far as timing is between six and 10 months after an abnormal stool result. So, you know, patients don't have to run in the following day to get the colonoscopy, but certainly as close as they can complete the colonoscopy to the abnormal stool test, that is really the best. We also know that when people wait for a year or more, that they have worse outcomes than had they completed the colonoscopy earlier. And 
What can independent GI practices do to increase screening rates in general, and particularly among groups in which there have been historical disparities? I mentioned one of the first things being offering. Um, So this may seem very simple, but we have data that shows that for people from underrepresented minority groups, their physicians, their providers were less likely to recommend a screening test to them than people who are white. So I think the first step is one, just offering that test. When we do offer that test, we need to offer choices. And this is really at the primary care level where most screening happens, but offering patients the choice of a stool-based test or a colonoscopy to begin with, and then certainly being open to other possibilities depending on the patient's um, needs. What I would also say would help is for practices that have the capacity to do so, because it's so important to follow up that abnormal stool test, and there's actually research that shows that when gastroenterology practices take ownership of patients with abnormal stool tests compared to primary care, that the time to colonoscopy is shorter. So for gastroenterology practices that have the capacity I think that that's a really powerful tool to ensure that people complete the full screening spectrum. And finally, the last thing that I will say can help are um, navigators. And, you know, the word navigators means different things to different people, but what it means is essentially someone who can help the patient and their family go through this process. Colonoscopy is complex. It requires coordination with the patient, their providers, primary and specialty care. And so having a navigator who can help patients get through that process can be very helpful. I think those are excellent points. Um, And it makes a lot of sense to me that if if independent practices are owning some of the follow-up of positive stool testing, we're perfectly equipped to serve as navigators. Our practices are really structured in that way to make the process of going through a bowel prep and coming in for your procedure, seamless, well-communicated, effective. Absolutely. Um, have you seen any partnerships on that level um, in the world of, of independent practice where um, health systems are pairing with, with practices to really um, have some of the ownership of positive stool testing shift to the GI community? Beyond research settings? I haven't. But I think that the literature in this area and the research in this area is growing. So I'm really quite hopeful that we will begin to see more of these partnerships. We already now see partnerships between federally qualified health centers and independent practices, because oftentimes while screening begins at the federally qualified health center, the colonoscopy cannot happen there. And so many of those partnerships already exist. And what I hope to see is an extension of that really to the benefit of our patients who need to complete colon cancer screening. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on um, the expansion of stool-based testings? I think that there are lots of new technologies that are coming down the pipeline that will hopefully make screening more accessible to those who need to be screened. There are blood-based tests that are under development for colon cancer and for other cancers as well. Um, And that's just a growing area. So I think that 
will only see more. And that's what brings me back to the importance of follow-up. Because while those non-invasive tests make screening more accessible, the screening process is not completed until those who have an abnormal result get a colonoscopy. So regardless of whether it's the fecal immunochemical test, whether it's the Cologuard DNA test, or a blood-based test, we as gastroenterologists can have great impact by ensuring and playing a more active role in patients who need um, getting a colonoscopy and those who need it most. And what advice do you have for young people who want to pursue a career in gastroenterology and in the research setting in particular? I welcome anyone who's interested in this work and in this specialty. Gastroenterologists, um, you know, when we consider um, ourselves as a specialty, we're certainly trusted healthcare providers, um, but there is room for improvement specifically related to representation of, of underrepresented minorities and of women. So I encourage anyone who's interested in the specialty to certainly pursue it, but I especially encourage women and those of underrepresented minority backgrounds to consider it. And for those who are interested in research, I would say that there are so many opportunities to really impact the lives of people. Cancer touches everyone. Gastrointestinal diseases touch everyone. I remember reading a statistic that the number one reason why people call into work is because of stomach symptoms, upset stomach. So if you just put that in context, we have such a huge role to play in the healthcare of our city, states, and nation. And so I, I hope people sincerely consider the specialty and the research associated. Well said. Thank you, Dr. Isaka. This has been a pleasure. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.